Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and I am the lead pastor here at Cassidy Church. And I am, I am really glad that you are joining us. We're all meeting online, and we're going to continue to meet online for a little while uh, until it's safe to meet in person again. But uh, we're excited because we have invested in the idea of what we can do going forward, how we can be the church in a, in a modern era and what that's going to look like. If you're a visitor here, if somebody has invited you and you have joined us, or if you just saw us on Facebook and you just tuned in, welcome to you. We're excited that you are here with us. I hope that while you're here, you find in us a group of folks who are serious about being more like Jesus, that we're, we recognize we're not perfect, but we're meeting people where they are and helping uh, all of us together to take our next steps on our spiritual journey in relationship with Jesus Christ. For the last 13 weeks, we have been on a journey. That journey is called Long Story Short. The journey is the story of the Bible. And we started 13 weeks ago talking about creation, that God created the heavens and the earth and, and, and where we fall into that. And, and then he talked, we talked about the promise uh, that God made to Abraham. We talked about the exodus and we talked about the covenant. We talked about the conquest and the kingdom. We talked about the warning and the comeback. Uh, we've talked about the, the, the coming, Jesus coming into the world and Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We talked about the resurrection uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the mission of God's people. And last week, we talked about the church. That means this week is the last week of this series that we've been on, this journey that we have taken through the Bible. And, and this week, we're going to talk about Revelation. Welcome. We did it. We made it to the end. Uh, it's kind of bittersweet. When it first started out, I was terrified because we're talking about 13 weeks of a sermon series, and yet here we are in week 13, and this was the least of our worries for the past couple of months, uh, and, and if you're not uh, catching us while this is live, uh, know that what, by that I'm referring to COVID-19. Uh, so we've been on this journey for a while. If you are just now joining us, I would like to invite you to uh, first stay for this service. We're excited that you're here. You will get something out of it, but if you want to go and check out the, all of the other 12 series of pieces of this series, uh, go to our, our online site, CassidyChurch.org, um, and there under sermons, resources, sermons, you'll be able to find uh, our, our past sermons. Uh, some of them are in video, some are audio only, uh, but we would encourage you to, to go and check those out uh, and catch up so that you understand the whole story of the Bible. And so what, when we started this journey, one thing that we said that we were going to do, we said we were going to do three things. Uh, first, we want to learn more about God. The second thing we wanted to do was learn more about God's story of redemption. And finally, we want to learn more about our place in God's story, where that is and what that looks like. And like I said, we, we've started uh, 13 weeks ago. This is week 13. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited uh, that we get to talk about Revelation. Uh, although, I will admit that Revelation is probably my least favorite book of the Bible to talk about. Uh, first, I wanted to just call everybody's attention to this, just so we all start on the same page. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. There is only one. We don't need multiples, so let's go with Revelation. Uh, <laughs> but the reason that I don't like talking about Revelation 
is for some reason, of all of the books of the Bible, Revelation seems to be the one that people are the most comfortable talking about, even though it's one of the most uh, crazy, bizarre stories that we, uh, we encounter in the Bible. And, and so for some reason, you'll have a conversation with somebody and everybody then, because they've, they've watched a show or they've read a, a commentary or something along those lines, everybody suddenly is a, a Bible scholar when it comes to Revelation. Even the atheists are Bible scholars when it comes to Revelation. And I, I think that that is because we have so much in our uh, culture about Revelation. And it's, it's because it's such a fascinating book. It's, it's a unique uh, type of literature, and we're going to get into that. Um, but because of the, the interesting nature of it, and because of the vivid pictures that you get while you read this story, uh, movies and books and all kinds of things have been written about it. And that helps us or hinders us in forming our theology about it. So for me, even before I was Christian, I was having my theology formed by Hollywood about what, what Revelation was all about. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, there, there was this movie called End of Days uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnie gets to punch the devil in the face. It's great. Uh, but End of Days is, is a bad example of, good, uh, of, of what theology should look like. Uh, it's, it has nothing to do with the biblical view of theology, yet it was, it was foundational in my understanding of what Revelation was all about. Here's another one, the seventh sign with Demi Moore. All she's got to do is love her unborn baby enough to give her life for her unborn baby. And, and then, and if I'm ruining this, it's okay, it was an 80s movie. Uh, but it's this idea that if she loves her baby enough, then the baby comes and, and uh, she passes and everybody is saved through her sacrifice. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's this view of Revelation, but it's a distorted, incorrect, incoherent view if you're trying. I mean, it, it's a cool movie. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's not theological in nature. It's, it's adventurous. It's neat. It's unique, um, but it's not theological. Uh, also, Left Behind. This is the Kirk Cameron version, not to be confused with uh, the Nick Cage version. Uh, and Nick, just stick to National Treasure. It's kind of your thing, man. Don't, don't, don't do Bible movies. It's weird. Uh, but um, the idea is, in Left Behind is the literal understanding of what the, the book of Revelation is about and how it's this, un, uh, this, this explanation of exactly how the end of the world will come about. And so the reason that I wanted to start with that is because my guess is that I'm not the only one that had some preset biases or preset understandings about what Revelation was all about, what the meaning of Revelation was, and how, how it fit into the entire story of the Bible. And what I found after going to seminary and after studying the book of Revelation, mostly because everybody wanted to talk about it, uh, I, I wanted to know more about it so I could have a coherent conversation. And what I found is that the more I know about Revelation, the more I realize how much I don't know about Revelation. And, and the reason is, is because of the style of literature it is. Now, for some of you, this is going to get real dry real quick, uh, but I want you to stick with us because it's important. First, the idea of, of, of Revelation is that it's written in apocalyptic 
literature. It's a whole genre of literature called apocalyptic literature. And in, in our context, in the, the Old Testament and New Testament, we have some examples of that. The book of Daniel um, has some apocalyptic literature in there or, or a view of revelation. It's really apocalypse, apocalypsis in the Greek means revelation. And so it's this view that God is revealing something. And for our understanding, it's, it's important for us to know that in apocalyptic literature, one of the things that they do is it's got a heavy use of symbology, uh, symbolic items. Things take on different, different meanings from what you would think they would mean. Um, numbers play a heavy role in the symbolic nature. And the idea was that the author wanted the reader to have emotion evoked behind the story so that you would have this, this idea of, uh, you, you would have this emotional connection to the reading of the story. And for our understanding, uh, for the book of Revelation, one of the key understandings that we need to have is, is that, um, that all of the apocalyptic literature is designed to help us to have a vision of the future, a hope in what is to come, because that's the underlying theme of Revelation. It's not necessarily the end of the world, more it's the beginning of the new creation. And that's the hope that we're going to find in there. But, but in order to get there, we have to understand a little bit about that context. And for our purposes, uh, the author, a man named John, or maybe it's a pseudonym, we're not sure. Uh, scholars argue about it. Some people say that it was the Apostle John that wrote it. Some people say that, no, it's just a John. Some people say it's John the Elder. There's all kinds of Johns in the, in the church, in the early church. And so we're not really sure who wrote it. We know that this person was on an island called Patmos. And they weren't on the island because it, it was a fun vacation place. They were on the island because they were incarcerated. They were imprisoned on the island. And, and they're writing during this, this brutal time. And, and so I want us to take a, a, just a quick peek. One of the things that we'll see if you read the story is that John is associated with seven churches. And sev these seven churches then become a framework for the number seven and for this revelation that God is revealing. And what I mean by that is this, John really likes the number seven, seven churches, seven lampstands, seven seals, seven bowls, seven trumpets. There are sevens all over the place in Revelation. And, and we can get bogged down by the imagery and we can get confused by what's going on. And so I wanted us to remember when we first started our discussion, one of the things that I said is context is key in understanding all of the scriptural references that we have. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's good to have context in order. And so I, I need for us to go back to this point in time where there is an emperor named Nero, and Nero is in charge of Rome, and, and this event happens in Nero's life. And most historians say Nero did this, he started this, but it was the burning of Rome. And, and when Rome burned, Nero blamed the Christians. Now, most people say that it was just the Christians he was using as a scapegoat. 
Uh, but the idea was that when, when Rome burned, that he was able, he being Nero, was able to, uh, to point to the Christians as the cause of Rome burning. Now again, most historians would say it's likely that Nero himself set the fire. For what purpose? I have no idea. Uh, but that's the, the idea. And so we have Nero then blaming the Christians. And so the Christians that this letter was written to were receiving this in a time of deep, deep darkness. They were receiving this in a time when they were being persecuted in, in uh, a new way. They, they had been uh, arrested and flogged in the past, but now they're being murdered in the streets. They're being fed to lions. They are being burned at the stake. And, and, and there are martyrs going left and right. And Rome would go to somebody who was supposed to be a Christian, and they would give them an ultimatum and say, hey, either you sacrifice to Caesar or we're going to put you in jail. We're going to put you to death. We're going to arrest you and take you away. We're going to take your, your land and your holdings. All of these things would be stripped from you. And so it was this time when, when Christians are, are being really hunted down and persecuted that this letter is written. And this letter is written twofold. One, it's, it's to remind the seven churches to hold firm in Jesus. Remember your first love, Jesus, the Christ who saved you from sin and returned to that relationship. And he, he writes through uh, these seven churches, writes to these seven churches, and, and Christ says, I have something for you. You know, you, you've been doing these things well, and these things you need to step up to. But all of this is a picture of standing firm even in the midst of this persecution. And then the second portion, the second thing we need to realize and understand from Revelation is that Revelation offers a picture of hope. We find, what we find in Revelation is that Revelation is a message of hope, not hope in this world, but hope in a world that is to come. So the, the idea behind it is regardless of, of the struggle and the strife and, and people coming and hunting you down, stay firm in Jesus because God is making a new thing happen. God is bringing about a new creation and you are going to be invited into that creation, into that world, and you're going to be included in that stay strong and stay courageous. That's the message of Revelation. This is the, the underlying theme of the entirety of the book of Revelation. If you strip away the, the imagery, and the only reason we're moving that to the side is because we don't have 13 more weeks to just talk about Revelation, uh, but we have the ability to say, okay, what is the core underlying theme of Revelation? Now, if we have a lot of people that are like, oh, I really would like to know more about Revelation, let us know on the, on, online or uh, via email or call us, whatever, so that we can, we can hear that. And maybe we can do an online study of Revelation because uh, I have some massive books on Revelation, so it would be, it would be fun to dive in uh, and do that. So let me know if that's something that you would be interested in. Uh, but for our purposes, we need to see that. And so we're going to look uh, at Revelation 21. That's where we're going to start our study. If you've got your Bibles with you, or if you're in the online platform, if you just click on the Bible tab, it will pull up the Bible so that you can, you can follow along with us. And we're going to be looking at Revelation 21. So join me in reading this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city 
the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the stream or from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Friends, this is the picture that Revelation paints. This is the imagery that we have is that if we stay firm in Christ, we will be victorious. And if we are victorious, we will inherit the life that is to come. We stand on a precipice at the end of the Bible and we look out across that precipice and we see not the end, but the new beginning the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, that God is making everything new. And this answers a huge question for those that were reading this. And, and they, they were asking things like, where is God in this situation? We can be asking that too right now. Uh, where is God in this situation of COVID-19 and, and the coronavirus? Where is God in this, in this situation where people are, are losing their lives over this plague? I've heard people refer to it as a plague. Uh, where is God in death? Where is God in brokenness? And the answer that Revelation has is a resounding, he is making everything new. That's where God is in this. He is making everything new. That's the hope that we have in Revelation. The idea is that we, we're, we're not, when we, if, when we get to the very end of the Bible, it's not the end of anything, it's the beginning of the next thing, this new creation that God is going to do. In the, in the very beginning of this story, I said, we're a people between two gardens, and let me explain that. We, we started in the Garden of Eden, where God had made a small place on earth a place of, of perfection where he dwelled with man and they walked together in the garden in the cool of the day and God was there. There was no temple because God himself was there. And, and, and then we broke that relationship. And the story of the Bible is God continuing to pursue us to bring us back into right relationship. And, and at the end of the Bible, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And, and Eden is recreated, not in a small piece of earth, but instead the whole world will be Eden where God dwells with his people. And the new Jerusalem, a heavenly city, will, will be our dwelling place. And we will have life in God in that place. And we will do whatever we get to do in that location, whatever our jobs are, because we will have things to do. We won't be sitting on harps or sitting on harps, sitting on clouds playing harps. No, we're going to be engaged in what it is that God has in mind for us, for our purpose. 
this is the beauty of Revelation, that it's not this ending, it's a beginning, and, and we are between, right now, the two gardens. We're living out life in between the gardens. And friends, I want you to, I want you to understand this. When we talk about Revelation and, and viewing this, I think one day we're going to look back. When we've been in, in, in the presence of God in, in the new Eden for, gener- for, for multitudes of years, that we will look back on this time, the time before in the old creation, and we will see this as nothing more than a preface to the real creation, that that was that story, but now we're in real life, that the reality of God is going to be so much more profound than the reality that we surround ourselves with currently. And so I want us to, to recognize this. We can take hope in the end of the beginning, and that can sound like a, a weird statement, but this really is, uh, the, the new creation is the end of the beginning of all of us. And then we experience what real life is, what true relational interaction with the Father is, what it is like to live forever and ever in God's presence, to be able to fulfill our life and, and our purpose for, for all of us for eternity, for the rest of time, for beyond time itself. That's the hope that we receive in Revelation. That's the hope that was intended for the seven churches, and that's the hope that we also can get from this. And so I wanted to ask you a question about this, and and my question is this. Are we going to live like this world now is our forever, or are we going to surrender our forever, what we have in our mind, to the one who is already there, the one who is already in forever and is calling us home. My hope is that you will join me in that, that you will join me in this desire to stay strong, to, to be victorious in Jesus Christ, even in the middle of any situation that we find ourselves in, that we will be able to take hope in God. And, and, and from the beginning, we've said it every week, and so I just want to finish with this. We wanted to do three things. We wanted to learn more about God. And in the past 13 weeks, we've learned about a God who is creative in his love for us and creative in the creation of the world and and creative in his redemptive plan. And, And we've learned more about that plan of redemption, that God has pursued us from the beginning, even in the garden, when we were breaking God's heart, he was coming after us to return us to right relationship. And, and finally, our part in the story. We talked about the mission of God and the, and the church and, and how we are called to hold Christ's banner high, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world and to bring all of us ultimately into right relationship. That is the gift that we have in the Bible. That is the gift that we have in a God who loves us and pursues us and that is the gift we have in resurrection in Jesus Christ. We're not just going to get to be forgiven. We get to be sons and daughters of the Most High with access to God on a daily basis. And and we get to drink from the streams of the water of life, which Jesus offers to us. So let us 
be the people that God has called. Let us serve God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength so that we can be victorious in the end. And our inheritance is assured in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are so good to us. And over the course of this 13 weeks, we have, we have experienced you in a new and unique way in the middle of this current situation where we have been, um, been pulled apart and, and kept apart from one another, um, that we have, have seen you show up in new and profound ways. Help us to be changed from the inside out. Help us to be made more into the image of Christ. Help us when we come out of this, this isolation to be unifiers of your world, to share the good news, to invite all to come into relationship with Jesus Christ, to love you from the deepest part of our hearts and to live like we're always a part of your church. Father, help us to do all of these things and help us to be victorious. Make our strength your strength. Make our love your love. Make our desire to share the good news your desire. Break our hearts for what breaks your heart and encourage us when we are down and hurting. Father, we thank you for all of this. And if there's anybody that's out there today that this is the first time that they have felt you present, that, that this is the first time that they have recognized that, that you're, you're really there and you're desiring relationship with them. Father, that you would soften their hearts and that you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon them and that you would have them come into a right relationship and that they would recognize that it has all been done through Jesus Christ and all they have to do is say, yes, I want a relationship with you, God and that they would turn their lives over to you. Father, I just pray that if there is anyone that hears my voice and, and feels the presence of your Holy Spirit, that they would do just that, that they would surrender their lives to you. Because we know that true life begins in Jesus. We give you thanks and praise for who you are, for the gift that you have given us in the Bible, for the gift that you have given us in the church, for the gift that you have given us and you continue to give us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for all of this and we rejoice in your holy name and we say, Amen.